With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Hey, what up? Welcome in. I'm Doug Gottlieb. This is All Ball. I wanted to, I, I, I got a little nice treat here. Dan Shaughnessy has a new book out. It's about the Boston Celtics and uh, their, I think, their greatest team ever. Right. And when you say greatest team ever, oh, man, why do I care about, you know, going back to the old days? And uh, yeah, that's not we're not going back that far. Dan Shaughnessy has written a book about the new about the Boston Celtics. But we're talking about the ones in the 80s and in the 80s. It was called Wish It Lasted Forever. Life with the Boston Celtics. Simon and Schuster put it out. You can pick it up at at Amazon. And it, it talks about um the the arguably the best Celtics team ever. They went fifty and one at home. They won sixty five games. So I I thought we'd sit down and and talk about the book and talk about what what we will learn about a team that uh, kind of gets glossed over in terms of the all time great teams. And Larry Bird kind of gets glossed over as one of the greatest players in the history of the game, like five greatest players ever. You know, when you hear all these debates and you hear Jordan and you hear LeBron. Somehow we don't talk about magic enough. We don't talk about bird enough. So here's my sit down with Dan Shaughnessy. Dan, um, this is a book that you told me on your radio show. It's a it's a quarantine book. It's a COVID book, right? Everything was shut down. But, That's right. but take me through what, what was the epiphany that I got to write a book because I know so much about this team. Like this fascinates me. I want to do. It. Was there was there a moment that you're sitting at home? And the last dance is on and this epiphany came to you. Yeah, well, I, you know, during the last dance, I'm seeing my 30 year old self sitting at, at courtside and remembering what that was like. And then, you know, without games being played locally, they were broadcasting Celtics classics of the 80s. And I'm watching those and, you know, the 85, 86 Celtics. And there I am sitting there again. And I'm thinking, I've been telling these Larry Bird stories for 30 years. Bars may as well put them in a place. And 
And when they resumed and had the COVID bubble, you know, the reporters who went there had to pay $60,000 to get in, quarantine for two weeks and sign a waiver saying they would not uh, approach any athlete or coach if they saw them away from the gym. And I'm thinking that's where we did all of our best work because the league was so small in that time. And, and really, Doug, I mean, everybody knows who won and what the stats were and who's in the Hall of Fame. And this is no attempt to, uh, to elaborate on all that stuff. What this is, is, is to take you back when the NBA really exploded because the league was down when Bird and Magic came into the league and it needed a boost. The, the finals run tape delay. It just was small time league. I mean, Cedric Maxwell got a Seiko watch for being MVP of the finals in 81. There was no cars then. And of course, being a beat guy for the Boston Globe with these Celtics, we travel with them. So we stayed in the flea bag holiday ends, flew commercial, changed planes, did connections, nothing five star about this, but we were with them all the time. We were able to tell the readers and the fans what they were like. And this was a very unique group of guys that, that had, you know, competitiveness and greatness and security and how great they were. They were not petty and jealous and who's getting more touches, who's getting more money, who's more famous. It was really the collective and the practices were fun, Doug. I mean, just watching these guys go at each other in practice. And Bill Walton gives great voice to this in the book, just about how great it was, the greatest year of his life. They went 50 and one at home, 85, 86. In my view, the greatest team of all time, five Hall of Famers. So this is just sort of a a love letter to that time when the league really exploded. I mean, the, the Larry Magic finals of the 80s, those are like the Ali Frazier fights for the NBA. Yeah. It just put the yeah. league on the map and, and made the league important to the point where by 92, when, when Bird's wrapping it up, it's a global entity with the dream team. You know, it's, it, the Larry aspect of it is fascinating to me because, you know, I've worked at three different networks and two of them do all these debate shows. And so much of it is about, you know, Jordan and LeBron. And I'm like, did I, did, did I fall asleep in a, <laughs> through the, the most magical decade of basketball? Like Magic Johnson. And, and I don't, I, Magic Johnson is not great on TV. Um, but he's, he's done some amazing, he, he, he did the, the one thing he said, which people want to quote all the time. Is he Kobe's the greatest Laker ever? Like that's just magic being magic. Magic's the greatest Laker ever, right? He was he and Larry dominated the league. They not just saved the league, they dominated the league. But somehow now we're you know thirty years removed from them being in the league, and they don't get mentioned as the greatest of all time. Um, you can speak specifically to Larry. How how dynamic was Larry? And how much did he change the Celtics from the moment he got there? Well, again, the Celtics had been, you know, obviously when Russell was there, they were dominant. They won 11 championships in 13 seasons, but but they didn't have the level of popularity and neither did the league. You know, they weren't selling out the games and they weren't the hot ticket. When Bird got there in 79, all of a sudden every game was a sellout and the, the team was revived. It was the greatest single season turnaround in franchise history. They went from 29 to 62 wins, I think. And a year later, they win the championship. 
but it took four years before he and Magic faced each other in the finals. They were both in finals, but not against each other until 83, 84. And in my view, still the best finals of all time. You know, seven Hall of Famers up and down, 2-2-1-1-1 format. You're flying coast to coast every day. It changed a lot of rules. That was when when Rambis took down, was taken down by Kevin McHale, and his, his foot almost hit the rim. He was upended to such a degree. And that changed rules because now you got your your path to the basket, your flagrant fouls, your that day it was it was two shots and went down the other end. McHale in the book told me I'd be suspended for a year if that happened now. So a different league, then, but it was really important what these guys did. And for Larry, you know, he wasn't trusting of, of new people. I understood that. I was a new person on the beat when I came in. He was already an NBA champion. It took a while for him to warm up. But, you know, I'm from a small town. I played varsity basketball. I understood the culture of basketball. I wasn't good like him, but I understood having Converse All-Stars for your high school team was a big deal. You'd get a pair before the season and another pair for the tournament. You know, I knew that the Friday nights with the gym and local hometown, that was a big deal. He had that. It just felt, you know, these guys were very, as I said, secure in their greatness, didn't mind sharing that. And a lot of this back and forth comes out in this book where you really get to know what they were like, what the individuals were like. And that cast of characters, they were colorful. They were trash talkers. They were confident and they liked each other. It was a very joyous, fun time. Um, but, but Larry himself, um, what was, what was he like? I mean, I know he was kind of closed off to you because you were new, but what was, what was he like? You know, cause they, they all magic, magic had that smile. He had a great relationship with the owner and he was kind of bigger than life. LeBron, you know, kind of came in as a refined guy. I remember him at the NBA draft, like this guy feels like he's been in the league for 10 years. Jordan was fairly quiet and shy, great smile. But his personality didn't come out for several years. What was Larry like? So it got better with us. And again, being able to, to you know, he liked his beer. So you talk in the hotel lounge a little bit late at night and talk about, you know, having older brothers. He had two older brothers and he worshipped them growing up. And I had an older brother who was a great player and you wanted to be like them. And I think for Larry... That's where he learned to be great. He'd go rebound. They'd be taking the clothes to the laundromat because they didn't have a washer. And uh, they'd be carrying the stuff for their mom. And there was an outdoor court across the street. He would rebound for Mark Bird, who he looked up to because he's four or five years older. He said, I couldn't believe how he could swish the ball every time. And I just never have to move to rebound. And I wanted to know, how do you do that? And says, because I practice all the time. So Larry put his mind to that. And he was a guy who held his teammates accountable. They had a they had a practice group in the morning, 630 in the morning, high school basketball, got keys to the gym, go practice our free throws. It was one teammate, too big for it, slept in, missed it. Larry said, someday that's going to come back to bite us. Sure enough, they get to the Indiana State Tournament, which is no small deal there, especially when you're in high school. And his friend, Beezer Carnes, he missed three one-on-ones, the front end of three one-on-ones. They were bouncing the tournament the rest of his life. Anytime anybody wasn't working at their free throws, Beezer Carnes would come up. He never forgot it. He said, I didn't say anything to him. I just looked at him and he knew. Larry was capable of, of carrying all these thoughts in his head while he was competing in the NBA. I'd say to him, how do you not get intimidated by these pogo sticks, these physical specimens, James Worthy, Dominique Wilkins? He said, I've never been in. I've never been intimidated on a basketball court. I used to be in college warming up and there'd be guys the other end trying to intimidate my teammates and throwing down dunks and yelling at us. And I'd go down there and I'd say, 
when this game's over, I'm going to own your ass. And then I did. That's how he felt. He just wasn't not bothered by that. And he got real cocky, as you know, Doug. He was a master trash talker. He would tell them what he was going to do, then execute the play after the inbounds and go and do it, and then point and say, you should have done that because I told you what I was going to do. He was banking his three-pointers toward the end. I remember the trainer of the New York Knicks, Mike Saunders, said, what are you doing? He's watching him practice before the game. And he says, you couldn't do that in a game. Larry says, well, if you give me five bucks, I'll do that tonight. Sure enough, Celtics got a big lead. Larry banks a three-pointer, runs down by the Nick bench with his greedy hand extended. Where's my five bucks? I mean, he was able to hold these thoughts in his head while he was playing. That was the level of his greatness and his cockiness. How was he, with, how was he to be coached? You know, Casey Jones was his coach. Was he coachable? Well, really good question, because not only was he coachable, he was the only one when Bill Fitch came on. You know, Bill Fitch was the first outsider that Red Auerbach ever hired to coach the Celtics. He had hired Bill Russell, Tom Heinsohn, Tom Sanders, Dave Cowens. First time he goes outside the family, he brings in Bill Fitch, you know, whose claim to fame was Cleveland Cavaliers, nine years. He had coached Bob Gibson in baseball and basketball at Creighton. He was a charming Irishman. He's in the Hall of Fame now. And Fitch got Robert Parrish straightened out, had him running the floor, made him a Hall of Famer. But he was very uh, hands-on, very much yelling at guys all the time. And that was good when they were young. But by the fourth year, they were done. Maxwell, Parrish, McHale, they had stopped listening to that. Larry Bird never did. He, he kind of went with the authority figure. He never spoke badly about a coach. And when everybody else was hooting on Fitch, Larry was disappointed that the teammates were going hard on him, but it taught him a lesson. When Bird came back to coach in the NBA, which surprised us, did the three years with the Pacers, he said at the start, I'm going to do three years and out because that's the statute of limitations on coaches in the NBA. He did his third year. He got him to the finals and he walked. That was it. He honored that. So when Casey Jones came in, Doug, it was easy because Casey did not overcoach, did not get in the way. He knew what he had. He was a player. He rolled the ball out and said, go get him, guys. And uh, that was a dream for the rest of them. And for Larry, he just knew what to do out there, and he became kind of the coach and captain on the floor. Um, and, you know, I think we got to know some form of Larry. There's been books. Robert Parrish is kind of a mysterious figure. What was he like? Well, unfortunately, I'm not going to be able to uncover a lot for you there. But all I know is he hated me. And right from the jump, there was no relationship there. And to the point where – I would. I, I sat with him at the airport in Detroit one time and tried to find out what the problem was because, you know, his teammates liked him. He was a quiet guy. His backstory is really interesting. Went to Centenary. His team was on probation the whole time, probably because he went there. He was not academically eligible. And, and you know, Bobby Knight and other big recruiters had told him, you're not going to be able to play for a year. But at Centenary, they took him right away and paid the price. So he was like an invisible seven-footer in college. And uh, that was not lost on the Warriors who took him in the first round. He had kind of a, you know, not bad first three or four years, but not great. And Bill Fitch saw something in him and wanted him acquired. And Red Auerbach carried out the order and brought him in with McHale together for the start of the 80-81 season. And they win a championship right away. And, of course, Robert, Robert played more games in the NBA than anyone in history to this day. And uh, got one extra ring by playing with Jordan at the end, at the end of the bench. But in his time in Boston, he was a great teammate. He subjugated his ego like a lot of them had to, uh, to not get all the touches. Bird gave him great shots. He, he could catch the ball in traffic and throw it down. He came up short in a few playoffs, but then got good. He way outplayed Moses Malone for him in 85. And, and again, he was quiet guy. Maxwell named him the chief because he was like the chief character in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and got along very well with his teammates. 
Less so with us. He was a sensitive guy. I remember Sports Illustrated came around once and they, they said they wanted to do a feature on Robert Parrish. And the writer said, yeah, we already did our Kareem story for the week. And that really annoyed him. And he wouldn't talk to them just because of this little offhand joking remark. So in my case, I came out hard on him when he, he held out one year because he was not getting paid as much as McHale. I came down hard on that. And I would sometimes tweak him if he came up short in the playoffs, but he hated me. I asked Maxwell about it for the book. I said, Max, why did Chief hate me? He said, he just had a disdain for your ass. So that's sort of an ongoing thing. Even his wife hated me, Doug. After the Celtics won the championship in 84, Boston Garden, they win, they beat the Lakers in game seven, the hot old garden. And I'm just carrying my computer back to the press room. And Nancy Paris chased me down. She gave me an airful. Well, Bird loved that. As soon as Bird heard about that, he said, yeah, I heard Nancy Parrish hit you with her purse. So anyway, that's the way it was back then. But I cannot give you the inner workings of Robert Parrish's mind because he did not share them with me or many other media folk. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, what about Kevin McHale? He's a guy who, you know, Larry said was, you know, Larry would say he's the best player in the league for a couple of years. Um, we have got to know him because he's been a broadcaster. Yeah. He's been a coach. He's a colorful personality. But what was he like then? 
He was great. You know, when we travel commercial, we're always waiting for, you know, airplanes and delays and whatnot. If you ever said to Kevin McHale, hey, Kevin, I'll buy you breakfast, do a little interview. He'd do that for the free breakfast. He's, he loved he loved getting free food. And uh, he was just a big puppy. He was sort of a genetic mutant, Doug. He was the only person in his family, at, like, outsized because his, his brother was six feet tall and his dad was like 5'10". He had some uh, distant cousins on the Croatian side. They were a little bit bigger, but it just sort of happened. And, of course, he grows up in the Iron Range in Minnesota where everybody plays hockey. Well, they figured out pretty early it was going to be basketball for him because he was six foot ten with really long arms, had the great drop step move up and under. It was really hard to cover in the low block. But he never, he never like, cared about it as much as Larry. He didn't dive on the floor. He was a little more of a cruiser out there. And uh, that bothered Larry a little bit, but he was a very much of a people pleaser, very much a you know good guy from the Iron Range, same home as Bob Dylan, took great pride in being from Hibbing, Minnesota, home of Bob Dylan. So he came to Boston and Fitch wrote him hard. He didn't respond real well to that. So he would give a little bit back to the coach and, and he was very humorous about it most of the time. We loved him. He was always a great quote and uh, he was a great teammate. And, you know, you'd ask Kevin, well, if you were on another team, you'd probably score more points and be more famous. And he'd say, yeah, but I'd, I'd have fewer championship rings. He understood that, understood his role, raised a big family with his wife, who was his college sweetheart and uh, really dedicated to the folks back home in Minnesota. Um, relocated to Arizona, had a good career in the NBA as a, as a GM and a head coach, finished up with the Rockets. I always thought James Harden got him fired. I kind of hold that against James Harden. I don't like that. Who was your one home loss to? Uh, the Portland Trailblazers got him by like 18 points. It was like December. It was Jerome Kersey, Clyde Drexler, Jesse Coulter. They had the, I call them the flying burrito brothers. They'd get up and down the floor and, they just ran him off. They really beat him thoroughly, and uh, that was it. 41 regular season and 10-0 and in the playoffs, 15-1 at home. You know, it, it, it's interesting. Um, it, it's interesting that, that I, people go back now and they say, well, you know, Jordan, he got swept out of the playoffs his first two years. Like, do people understand, one, it was a three-game playoff series. Two, he had <laughs> nothing around him. And three, I mean – those Celtics were in the conversation of the best teams in the history of the NBA, right? Yes. And everybody gets beat by those teams. Yeah, I mean, he did score 63, which is, of course, the playoff record. I mean, yeah, it was crazy. Larry Bird, I was surprised at this because Larry was not one to blow smoke. And, uh, you know, Jordan, there was a lot of controversy about that draft because, you know, everybody knew Hakeem was going to go first. That was fine. But then Portland, you know, they had Drexler, they had Kersey, they had six, five swing guys, and they didn't want the duplication of skills. They took Sam Bowie figuring, you know, we didn't know he's going to be hurt his whole life, like Greg Oden later. And sure enough, and then it just Jordan falls to Chicago with the third pick and, I, he, he was all about it when the league started that year. He was going to be rookie of the year and he had his own brand, his own shoe. And it was the rage. I didn't, I just saw a really good young player. I did not see what was, this was going to be, but Larry Bird did. First time they played at the garden, Celtics beat him pretty thoroughly. And after the game, Bird, he said to me, he said, that guy's going to be the greatest player ever. I said, come on. And, and Larry never blew smoke. I, I didn't think he'd do that falsely, but he said, no, you wait, you watch, see what happens. And of course he saw something that I couldn't see. Okay, who's the who's the the when I open this book, what, what player will surprise me the most in terms of, you know, um, not necessarily on the floor but off the floor in the personality and how people 
gathered around? Was it Ainge? Like, who who was the off the court? Uh, leader, if you will. Well, I mean, I don't know about leader, but Cedric Maxwell come off the off the page for you in a good way because he's such a good quote, and he was fearless, and he felt a little bit disrespected because you know Parish Bird, Michaela Hall of Famers, but you know Max was MVP of the Finals in '81, in in 1984, the greatest series ever against the Lakers. Max had his his high game of the season in Game Seven. He tells him, "Hop on my back, boys," and in a game that had Worthy, Magic, Kareem, Bird. McHale, Parrish, Dennis Johnson, seven Hall of Famers. The guy who is the MVP of Game 7 is Cedric Maxwell. Gets 24 points and just dominates the low post. Owns James Worthy, who was a much better player than Maxwell. But in the big moments, Max could do it. And he could back it up with his mouth, too, man. He says great stuff in this thing and and uh, very helpful to the voice of the book. This That group, and you and I have discussed this before, but I'm not crazy to think that group is – far more beloved than the Garnett Pierce championship team, not just because they only won one, but because so many, they played, you know, so many years with the team. Is that, is that why you think there's so much more beloved? Oh, that's totally true. What you say. And, and I think that it was just, it was a, it was a more kind of innocent time. Like the way the thing ended with the Garnett Pierce Allen thing, you know, they all got mad at Ray Allen for going to the Miami heat the next year. And they're still not speaking to each other and all this petty stuff. And I mean, Garnett, you know, I mean, he played here, I guess five or six years, which is, is nice, but he was never thought of as a lifer the way most of these guys were. I mean, you know, Parrish got there a few years late. DJ came in a little late, but they were all thought of as Celtics forever. And as much as Garnett, you know, had the great run there. He was a T-Wolf like twice as long as he was a Celtics. I just think it it's never going to take hold. And I don't know. The old garden was a little more charming and intimate and kind of nostalgic and historic than, than today's garden. So something was lost with that. And that was a great, you know, but they should have won more, like you say. I mean, they should have won more than one. And uh, yeah, these guys are remembered much more fondly. Okay, so give me your best garden story. Best garden story. Well, the garden stories were all... I mean, you know, everybody thought Red was cranking up the heat and, and turning off the, the hot water in this Lakers locker room and all that stuff. Red, they didn't really have control over it because the Bruins owned the building, and I don't think that was all true. And it was, it was kind of a ratty, dumpy place. And uh, Larry's, Larry loved that place because it, it just spoke to his work ethic and the grittiness of it. He'd come to the garden at 4 in the afternoon, practice his shooting, you know, and if he missed one, he'd be by himself out there with one equipment guy rebounding for him. And if he missed one, he'd yell at the bull gang for not putting the bolts down correctly or when they when they took up the ice, put down the floor, all that stuff. And and uh, he loved his shooting drill in that old garden in the afternoon. And then he'd run laps in the lower bowl in the upper tier uh, beyond the court. And you'd see, you know, I remember the Knicks coming in with Hubie Brown and they were like, yeah, where's this bird guy doing his laps? And Hubie Brown said, there he is right there running laps upstairs in the gym. So I just a lot of fond memories for that place. And. I mean, when you have poles, Doug, your place goes vertical and you can hang over the court. And that place did, just like the old Chicago Stadium. Yeah, both of those places were. And it's interesting that, you know, you have all these new arenas and no one's really, I think Indy's probably, the, they're doing the best they yeah, can. Yeah. But nobody's able, because they want the sight line and because they want so many seats in the boxes, no one's able to recreate those old places. Whereas baseball has done a, a great job of yes. recreating that nostalgia with their places. It hasn't been done yet, really, in the NBA. I agree. And that's a very good comp. Indiana is the closest one to be given that old-timey feel. They tried to capture that. I thought did a pretty good job. But, yeah, the, these things now, they're, they're just 
they're all kind of the same and there's nothing really individual intimate about them. Um, okay. So you, you mentioned Corbett Maxwell, you mentioned all these guys. What about Bill Walton? So Bill Walton, and he's a really interesting one because he was one of the, arguably the best college player of all time. He was the best player in the league, you know, when he's the MVP. Then he went through these injuries. What was Walton like on this team in terms of his play, but then in terms of his personality? Because uh, I just remember, and I know Bill a great deal. I, I grew up playing with his son. But, but Bill was, you know, famous for waving the towel and having a big smile on his face. But what was he like on the day-to-day? This was a big gift to everybody here, including Bill. And he'll still, I know he tells you that, but. So, you know, all the injuries in Portland, he's been in Clipper jail all those years. And, and he, he basically, he was semi-healthy in the 84-85 season and saw a chance to get out. And he, he had to give up a lot of money for the Clippers to do it. Once they knew he wanted out, they, they extorted money from him to give up some guaranteed deferred monies. And he would do anything to get his freedom. He got it. And the Lakers had no interest. Jerry West had seen the x-rays of his feet. But Red Auerbach said, bring him on. Because Larry Bird had said, if you can get him, bring him on. We'll be three times the team. And uh, Larry had worshipped him as a, as a young man, you know, as a high school kid when Bill had it going at UCLA, like a lot of us did. So they were just you know, excited to have him and then found out that Bill was more excited to be there because he had this secret love for the Celtics and the parquet floor and Red Auerbach and Bill Russell. And he brought that with him to Boston. And I know he's told you this. He'll say the Celtics gave me my life back. And it was this one magical year. It was almost like he made a pack with the devil and got one last year out of those feet and got 80 games in where he was sixth man of the year. He would come in and block like seven shots in 13 minutes against the Lakers um, banking shots from the, from the right corner. It was just amazing what he was able to do on that body one last time. So, and then in practice, you know, he was playing against Robert Parrish and he had the green team with, with Jerry Seasting and Scott Wedman and Rick Carlisle. And they, they took great pride and the practices were great. He'd stay after practice and work out with McHale and bird. And he just, he gave me the best quotes for this book about, he named it, wish it lasted forever. That's Bill Walton talking about the 85, 86 season. I mean, and, and he had this like, Watch the the beauty of the give and goes, the passing he would do with Bird. I mean, Danny Ainge would beg Casey Jones to put him in the game in garbage time so he could get out there with Walden and catch some more of those great passes. And when Bill threw him to these guys, he knew they were going to catch him. He loved Bird so much when they were playing the Pacers in Indianapolis, he asked Coach Casey Jones for a hall pass if they could go down to French Lick for the day. And Casey gave him the, the – let him go. And they drove overnight, a state cop and Quinn Buckter and Bill Walton and Larry Bird. They got to French Lick. They camped over in Larry's new house down there. And the next day they went to Georgia Bird's house where Larry grew up. And Bill asked Georgia for a canning jar, went out to the driveway and scooped up some sacred dirt from where Larry Bird grew up shooting baskets. And then he would spread that dirt on his body for inspiration during the course of the year. And then at the end of the wow. year, it goes back to La Mesa. It goes to La Mesa to the driveway where he grew up, spread the dirt there. And as Bill will tell you, it's now sacred ground. That's how much you love Larry Bird. Um, here's what I remember about the final. Right? I remember Seasting uh, getting in a fight with Ralph Sampson. Yep. <laughs> and, they, and they both got thrown out of the game. And then uh, Ralph Samson on National TV called it bullshit. But I just, I remember, like, that's when I figured out Jerry Seasting, who was a great player at Purdue, but um, that, that backup point guard role was to just be the toughest sucker on earth. And he fit that role. What else about the finals? Because it, what's interesting is 
here's arguably the greatest Celtics team of all time, one of the great teams of all time. And I think the only playoff game that ever gets mentioned is Jordan 63. What else about those finals? It was not a remarkable playoff run. They were almost too good for everybody. And of course they all wanted the Lakers didn't happen. Ralph made that goofy shot. Uh, and, and they they beat the Lakers, which was disappointing. I mean, some people liked it because it was an easier path, but we all wanted to see Ali Frazier again. It was just it was it was what the league was was best at at that time. So anyway, a little disappointing to get them. They managed to win two games. The second one you referenced, you know, Game Five in Houston, and that, the Celtics were just they were angry about that. They came back and and they had a practice on Saturday. And Casey Jones he sent them all home because he was afraid somebody was going to get hurt. They were so aggressive and feisty. They just wanted to get this thing over with, and they knew the next day it was a tour de force by Larry Bird and all of them and just just blew him away on a Sunday afternoon and that night you know everybody went partying and Larry had had enough and went back to his house and shut her down and Bill Walton's at his ringing his doorbell like 11 30 at midnight and Larry's wife gets up and says yeah Bill Walton's here and Larry gets he says tell him I'm asleep see you later and Bill Walton and this they both verify this he just he wouldn't take no for an answer so he sat in Larry's kitchen got out a bottle of wild turkey, listened to the Grateful Dead all night, and just regaled in this championship, this gift that he had had. And when Larry got up in the morning, Bill Walton was still sitting there in his kitchen waiting to relive the moment. That's awesome. That, that, that's awesome. That's Bill. That's amazing, amazing stuff. Hey, uh, Dan, I, I, I can't wait to, to see some of these stories. All right, give me, give me one story. Here we go. One story that people don't know that you're going to walk away like, Give me your own excerpt. Like if you could pick a story that you think kind of speaks to this group in this book, what would it be? Well, it was, you know, Larry took me for $160 at a free throw contest, but everybody knows that now. And Larry still remembers the exact amount. If you see him, he'll say, yeah, $160 in my pocket. Thanks very much, Scoop. But when he was warming up, when he was warming up in the garden, those, those, those late afternoons, if you by himself, the garden be dark, except for the little bit of light where they were shooting, focused on the court. And uh, I'd, be, I'd be there early setting up my computer right next to the bench because we had those seats. They now sell for thousands of dollars. We used to be the media sitting right there next to the bench. And he came over and said, what are you working on, Scoop? I says, well, you're getting near Calvin Murphy's record for 88 consecutive free throws made. So you're in the 60s. So I'm going to write about your free throw streak for the early editions of the Boston Globe, which will be delivered to Maine and Cape Cod. And I said, don't, don't make me look bad by missing one, because then someone's going to pick up the paper tomorrow and say, well, Jesus, he missed one last night. So in the first half of that game, he lines up for two. He makes the first one and he turns and winks at me before making the second one. That's how it was. That was the closest and the proximity that we had. And the fact that he could hold these things in his head while he was playing NBA basketball. Amazing. Amazing player. It's an amazing book and an amazing team. Dan, thank you so much for joining me on the All Ball Podcast. Really enjoyed it, Doug. Take care. Thank you. Pretty interesting team. Pretty interesting book. Um, the, the thing about Bird is... I do think his game would transfer marvelously now. Think about it. Here's a guy who people said he couldn't defend then. He was always a good defender. He's a great rebounder, an incredible passer, incredible scorer. It's like, well, Dirk Nowitzki was one thing. Yeah, he's Dirk Nowitzki, only a better rebounder and better passer. (laughs) Outside of that, and Dirk Nowitzki was the MVP of the league for a year. That's how good this guy was. He made teammates better. He was tough. He could rebound. He could defend like, look, is he guarding? Is he chasing Steph around? No. 
But lots of guys don't chase Steph around, and they're still great players. You know, could Steph match up with him? No. This dude could score everywhere, finish around the basket with either hand, had had the ability to, I don't know if you want to call it the clutch gene or whatever. Remember the steal against the Celtics. But uh, Larry Bird was the shit, quite frankly. Anyway, the, the book is called Wish It Lasted Forever. Check it out. My thanks to Dan Shaughnessy. My thanks to you for listening. I'm Doug Gottlieb. This is All Ball. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bed 365 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card... Right this way. It's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply.